Coming up on this week's episode of the Retro Owl podcast, Mortal Kombat returns to the big screen. GameStop are set to introduce retro gaming only stores. And we talk to the company still producing official Sega games and consoles in 2019. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And welcome to this week's show, full crew, back in the house again. Welcome back, Ravi. Oh, it's good to be back. And you guys, you know, you've been looking after the house. You've been keeping it in order whilst I was away. And my God, what an episode last week with Plato. People have reacted so well to that, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, me, me and Joe, we, we held the fort down. You know, I was going to say, we bring... came close to burning the place down, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad Ravi's pleased with the results. <laughs> yeah, the audience number's only about quartered. You yeah, know, yeah, like, something you know, like that. Not too bad. But, <laughs> bring yeah, Ravi back! That's all we've had. <laughs> yeah, we did, did have a bit of that on YouTube, I think. We did, we? actually. Yeah. Ravi's fanboy. That was your mum, I bet, wasn't it? Really? So, <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, um, yeah, last week, I mean, because we were talking about this at the start of last week's show, that we've been lifelong video game fans, and kind of we usually this show concentrates on systems that we grew up playing and games from our childhood and all that. I mean, next week, little tease ahead here, I'm actually going to be talking on the podcast. We're going to have on one of my childhood heroes next week. Oh, we've been trying Ooh. for years to get him as well, so this is going to be good. Oh, I'm interested. Little I don't even know who this is, actually. You're not allowed to find out, Joe. Top secret. Oh, you know, even though I've just been invited to come and do an episode on uh, next Tuesday, which is probably it. But yeah, You can't find out who it is, though. I can't yeah. find out I'm not going to tell you his name till the okay, end. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but, you know, in all seriousness, yeah, occasionally it is good for us to kind of go outside of our comfort zone and mm. that's one of the things I love about doing this show because I mean we, you know when we do try and find guests for the podcast I often send them out a link to our episodes page on the website where yeah. it's got all our old shows on there and I was scrolling through the other day and I thought God, we've covered so much on this podcast over the years and I mean last week we um, if you checked out last week's show we covered a system from like the early 1960s called Plato now it has been getting quite a good reaction on Twitter, I've had people who work in the video games industry get in touch and tell me that they'd never heard of this system before. Yeah, I, I noticed that it's not been written about or it's not kind of in the public sphere as much as other systems were and as much as early stuff like IRC and stuff was And ARPANET and that kind yeah. of, yeah. I mean, Brian's book was really the first of its kind. Um, but one thing I did forget to mention last week, and I promise I'll give them a shout out this week, is if you're interested in experiencing Plato for yourself, I mean, there is that Cyber One service that we talked about last week on the show. But also there's um, a program you can download and a service called Irata. Now, what this does is, if you've got like, you know, an old Atari ST or an Amiga or something like that, you want to make your retro computer even more retro, there's actually little Plato terminal clients they have for pretty much any imaginable retro platform. So you can hook up your old machines to Plato. And I, ge yeah. I guess it's got a web interface as well. Yeah, they, they do offer all that kind of stuff too. But I mean, there is something really cool about, you know, loading up your, your Commodore 64 and going on Plato via that. I think that's pretty cool. That's so awesome. that is Arata Online, if you found last week's show interesting. And I'll put a link to that in this week's show notes. Now, you've come back all uh, say good up, Ravi. Oh, yeah. So um, I talked to Stefano... Arnado, and he's the actual CEO of Tectoy, and Tectoy, a unique kind of company, um, they kind of share a bit of, like, British style of history because the Master System was quite popular in England. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same in South America. They, they, they really tried to push the Master System there. But, oh, my God, this interview is amazing. He talks about how he actually approached Sega asking about a black-and-white handheld console with Sonic on to kind of rival the Game Boy. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, they've produced over a thousand games themselves. That's absolutely crazy. They still produce consoles. They made a Mega Drive last year and they've actually, well, it was in 2016, but they've actually beaten the sound on it. So the sound is perfect compared to other machines that we've seen. So this interview is going to be fascinating. That sounds really fascinating. I, f I found it really interesting in like 2007, 2008. I first heard about Tech Toys. And a friend of mine told me about him and he was like, there's a Brazilian company still making like Sega hardware and stuff. I was like, that's amazing. And then to hear actually that it's still going in 2019 and then to actually find out that Ravi's actually met the guy behind it all <laughs> and that actually he's just as passionate about it, if not more passionate about any of us because it really for him it's a real labour of love as well. well. Well, the crazy thing is as well, Brazilian licensing laws are unique to anywhere. So okay. you, you have to build the machine inside Brazil it has to be manufactured yeah. so they had a deal where they had manufacturing plants where they had all this expertise and they've kind of kept going with all of that you know and that even goes back to when they worked with the television industry they have their own TV format it's based on NTSC okay but it's not. <laughs> it's oh, it's kind of weird. So you know? have Tectoy been going a long time then? Oh, a very long time, okay. yeah. And this isn't their main source of income. They right. sell lots of other toys and stuff like that, but this is kind of her passion project. This is like uh, his, he's project. a big retro yeah. gamer, isn't yeah. he? He's big into it, so 
the yeah. CEO. This is like his his project. And you know, I mean, you was like you know a Sega fanboy. You, you always lo- would love to see new Sega hardware on the shelves. Well, yes. <laughs> well, one one of the first things we talk about is when he went to Japan to visit Nintendo, and they were yeah. still making card games. Wow, so that's how old it is. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. So we're going to get the story of because I mean you don't read much about Tectoid, do you? You hear no, about you them. You hear and, about it. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool that you actually got the inside story from uh, Stefano Arnaldo. He's the CEO of yeah. the company. Wow. Okay. Second Can, CEO. He took. He knew the first one and then took over. Well, we're going to get the story of Tectoid. You know, keep the company that are keeping, as you said in the intro, official Sega games and hardware in production in Brazil in 2019. So this is going to be really interesting. Ravi is going to be catching up with him on the show in around. 15 minutes from now and you know we do this show every week and we love doing it I mean I did say before these amazing guests that we've had on because what I do love when I go through the iTunes reviews and I was looking through a few of them the other day we get some really nice comments on there and a few people have said the same thing I kind of like the way people word this that this show actually sounds like a group of mates like you might hear in the pub sitting around just chatting about their favorite old school Mm. games and that, that's a cool thing to do. That's a cool way to say it. It's a shame yeah. we're not mates, but... <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't got beer. <laughs> and we haven't got beer. No, I, I lie, I lie. We're all best friends here. But no, that is actually quite, that's quite nice. That's quite a nice description of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that element as well, because it's kind of like cements that we don't take it too seriously yeah. as well. So, But then we get these massive guests on. <laughs> yeah, so Somehow. we, we, we chat it up in the first half, and then, you know, we uh, bring you all these inside stories. But I mean, we do love doing this show, and it is... You know, been doing the show for three and a half years. It is humbling that, like you said, you know, I don't know how we get these guests. The fact that they will come on the show and talk to us and we have a privilege of coming in doing this show every week and we love doing it. But the only way that we can do that is um, thanks very much to your support. Now, we do have a little supporters section on our website at theretrohour.com. And uh, if you'd like to make a little donation into the running of the show, that lets us continue doing this. And for doing that, you will find your place in the very prestigious Retro Hour Hall of Fame. Like this week, let's give a mention to the people we love. Michael Verdi, Stuart Brand. Craig Crocker. And Marcus Davies, who all made donations into the running of the show. And if you'd like to do the same, you'll find that right now. PayPal at theretrohour.com. If you'd like to do direct thing rap or at theretrohour.com is our website. And while we're mentioning people we love, let's give a big shout to this week's sponsor. And it is one of our favourite companies. Bitmap books are back. Oh, yes. And they are back with such a cool product. Like, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the visual compendiums before. Yeah. They're like these beautiful presented ones. Well, this is all about the Sega Master System. Now, we're talking about Sega, obviously, with Tectoy this episode. So if you are a Sega fan, you need to check this out. Now, and they're, this is... they're actually featured in the book as well. Yeah, they are, yeah, about yeah. three or four this pages. This wasn't actually planned either, no. <laughs> which is actually quite nice. Joe, <laughs> we plan everything meticulously. <laughs> so this is the Sega Master System, a visual compendium. Now, if you haven't seen a Bitmap Books book before, these are the highest quality retro gaming books. They are outstanding quality yeah. just to have it on your shelf is very prestigious yeah. I'm holding it up right now you can't see it but I'm holding it up with its hol- hologramic but cover this really is like this is the perfect gift for somebody who's a retro gamer now in the past you know very thoughtful I get gifts you know such as the little retro consoles that you buy in yeah. Argos and stuff like that I have a whole number of them very 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 thoughtful from my family and friends and stuff like that but something like this I would be absolutely blown away if I got something like this yeah. for Christmas like it's a fantastic book um, absolutely hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of just like reviews of different games um, and just stories as well and like Ravi said just you know touching on like you know just the history of the Master System and everything that's kind of gone on with it if you want to know anything about any of these kind of games because how many books have they got now do we know? Oh they, yeah they've released loads of books I think this is volume 6 in the Visual Compendium yeah. series yeah, yeah. Um, and it's officially licensed by Sega as well which is a huge kind of selling point that yeah. Sega have ticked off on this one yeah and, and they've got like 60,000 words in the book as well because I mean, yeah. visual compendium I mean they do celebrate the art style of systems yeah. when you look at these and they present you know the graphics of the games yeah. in this beautiful it's, way in the books but it's also really cheap like £30 yeah. for a book of that quality with the PDF as well hardback this is yeah, yeah it's a nice hardback and just touching on the beautiful pictures as well the Sega Master System one actually comes with 3D glasses as yeah. well Wow. Oh, it's just so cool. retro the blue and red ones yeah. um, and you know just it, it just pops out it, it is pretty beautiful so if you're listening to this podcast on your phone now or uh, maybe you know you've got us opening one of your tabs on your browser honestly do this right now open a new tab in your browser type in bitmapbooks.co.uk we'll wait 
while you do it <laughs> and check, check out the book on there honestly there's like some example screenshots Sega Master System a visual compendium and uh, if you go on there and check it out you'll be really helping out this podcast as well um, give it a buy as well if you're a fan of the Sega Master System I mean if you're loving this week's show already you know the stuff we're going to be talking about I know you're going to love this book and they're a big supporter of the podcast so thank you Bitmap Books and check them out on their website at bitmapbooks.co.uk Right then, let's get into this week's news stories. It's been a busy old week, and <laughs> normally whenever we see that a new um, video games movie is going to be coming to the big screen, we also, for some reason, I can't imagine why, have a bit of a giggle in our voice. <laughs> kind of roll your eyes a little bit to it. <laughs> well, they're bringing Mortal Kombat back to the big screen. You know what? I didn't find it that bad, actually. I found the Street Fighter ones were disappointing. I found the Mario ones, but... You see? You say this. <laughs> Mortal Kombat, I thought I it was quite all right. like Mario Bros., <laughs> yeah. well, the I like. Are. I really like Mortal Kombat, yeah. the 1995 version, and then I quite like Street Fighter as well. These are like some of my go-to films if I'm feeling a little bit hungover, a little bit delicate <laughs> on a day off after a heavy night. Or Mine's something. like The Princess Diaries or something. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise Mis- me? Miss Congeniality <laughs> yeah. or something. But um, yeah, it's coming back, isn't it? So, yeah. So this is going to be. I mean, we all know that Mortal Kombat has had a big kind of resurgence as games in yeah. the last couple of years. You know that the series is probably bigger than it ever has been now. So it looked like the time was right. You know, twenty years on to do mm. a new Mortal Kombat movie. Now this time, um, one thing I love about this is for the first time, this new movie is going to feature fatalities. Yeah, oh, they've God. confirmed <laughs> this week. It's it's going to be R rated, eighteen yep. for us. UK people, uh, which is fantastic, rather than making like a 12 or a 15. But yeah, the fatality is on the big screen. Yeah. So this like, probably couldn't, wouldn't have been able to come out. Well, I saw the n- I saw the new Mortal Kombat and like I nearly had a panic attack after <laughs> it. It was so brutal. <laughs> so like I can't imagine what this film's going to be like. People getting cut in half and their heads yeah. flying off. So and we've it would got, just be mad. Is it James Wan is directing? He directed Saw. He did Saw yeah. and then he did like the Conjuring films okay. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to watch so, this. And then he's the producer of all the most recent Saws and stuff. So I think he knows his. Uh, He's gonna, gore, he's it, yeah. gore, yeah. He's, he's gonna he's gonna know how to make people squirm and stuff. Um, and then we've also got um, is it Joe Joe Taz Tazlim? I think his name is how you pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I've heard of him. Who's he? So he's from uh, one of the stars of the Raid, which right. is I'm probably gonna get this completely wrong. Uh, Korean okay. uh, martial arts action film, which I have I've seen both of them. Really, okay. really good films. I can't remember. But he's he's you know big big star in that, um, and he's going to be playing Sub Zero. So that's kind of everything that's confirmed so far. Ooh, so, so looking at this, they're saying they're not remaking the 1995 no. movie. This is going to be based on the new Mortal Kombat games kind of story. No, right? no. So apparently it's kind of kind of be inspired by the okay. games. But reading the articles about it, uh, as you can see, being on Mortal Kombat here, uh, they're kind of going back. They said it's very much like the Marvel films. They've got a lot of stuff to kind of work with, and they're going to kind of come up with their own story from by the sounds of things. Right. Okay. Rather than saying this is based on this film or this game or this film or anything like that because it's such a big universe as it is I think they're going to take a lot of the best bits and do their own thing which hopefully will work I mean if I think if they just go for straight up based on the whole Mortal Kombat you know it's the 10th consecutive one and humans need to win I think they'll be sound with that but we'll see I guess no one really watches these kind of films for the story anyway no, exactly. it's see fatality, people want to see the fatality <laughs> exactly <laughs> so it's going to be out I mean it, by the looks of the day production probably hasn't even started yet it's not going to be out for another two years uh, March 5th 2021 we'll, yeah. we'll see when they release the trailer and all the eyes are really big or messed up and everyone has to change it uh, apparently they're, they're fixed Sonic now um, okay. I was reading the other yeah. day that the other director of the Sonic Hedgehog movie said he thinks fans are going to be impressed at the, uh, the okay. redesign so uh, hopefully that'll be we'll out Touchwood. And one thing everyone's been talking about is the 50th anniversary of the moon landings. Yeah, so the Apollo 11's been out and I really want to watch that. It's got like loads of new footage of the moon landing, mm. but also it's supposed to be really dramatic and have loads of new sound with it. But what amazed me about the whole Apollo stuff was how like low tech it was yeah. when they landed. So uh, someone's um, actually got the original Apollo navigation computer and uh, the guidance system. And it's four kilobytes, basically, the whole system. And he's managed to get a Bitcoin miner working on there, which is just (laughs) geeks, man, just nerds. (laughs) How long will that... It's probably take 50 years just to, to, to like, mine one... one At the rate, it would take longer than the entire lifetime of the universe to mine a single Bitcoin. (laughs) That's ridiculous. I love it, but that's ridiculous. It's very cool. It's just amazing. Like, you know, when they were looking out of the Apollo lander, they had to use a painting on the glass how to land because their guidance system had messed up. I just love the whole 
technology and imagine what we could do now you know yeah well they're on that going back aren't they so yeah well yeah. there's a moon mission as yeah, well yeah. which is uh, the, the moon mars, mars mission. mission yeah, yeah. Uh, i i did a lot i mean we did talk about the the project to restore the apollo guidance system didn't we when yeah. that big series of youtube videos came out it, it's a really interesting use of it i've got to, i just have this vision of like you know a billion years in the future when you know the the earth's like a a wasteland, and there's just this little machine there, the, the Apollo guidance machine. Finally, done that one Bitcoin, and aliens <laughs> yeah. come over and they're like, What's What this? is that, bugs? Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or we finally got it to play Doom. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they got that running already. Yeah. Yeah. Everything runs Doom. Now, our good friend Christian Simpson's been busy this week. Now, he, is, of course, um, does a popular YouTube channel, Perry Fractic's Retro Recipes. We had him on a month or two back now. And I was checking out his most recent video, and he's managed to get an Amiga 4000 that they used at Team 17 to develop the first Worms game. Okay. So it's yeah. uh, done quite a bit with this. Well, well, it was the FMVs, so, you know, right. the sections on, like, the PlayStation and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if they actually had it on the Amiga version of Worms. It might CD32 have been not, under that, on the yeah. disc one. or on, Yeah, but the, the intros, you know, remember when he had loads of guns and yeah, the, yeah. the missile chased him around? Yeah, yeah, I used to love that. Well, well Christian <laughs> bought this and actually bought it with the original guy who made the cutscenes. Mm. And the disc, disc is in there still, the hard disk. Yeah, yeah. yeah so they, they've taken it it's out. It's like going in your attic for your PS2, and you're like, oh, wow, they, they, Gran Turismo 3. Yeah, the, the source code. Yeah. <laughs> the source code. <laughs> they managed to render it on the original Amiga. Right. And okay. then he said, okay, this is Lightwave, so Lightwave's got a new version now. Can't we just render it on 1080p on a new PC? Because Lightwave's still developed, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so they've transferred all the files. They've done it, redone it in 1080p, and it looks fabulous and you know he's changed stuff like there was a big error with the armpits they can never do armpits correctly so he's fixed all the armpits and those pesky armpits <laughs> of our worms <laughs> and then of course um be, being being christian he always takes it to the next level doesn't yeah, yeah. he so he then got a 3d printer right got the original lightwave plans and started printing worms f- from the original <laughs> fmvs i think that's so that's cool. pretty cool yeah, that video I've been seeing so many people loving it. It's about forty-five minutes long, isn't it? It's like you know, yeah, yeah, it's, cool. it's really good. Uh, but that makes me think. I mean, obviously, these kind of three D renderings, when you do have more powerful hardware, I mean, it kind of works. We you know we've talked about emulators before, where you can suddenly look at these old games scaled up to like ten eighty p. I mean, if they're all kind of polygon based, it's just increasing the count. It'd be funny yeah. to put them on the original game, wouldn't it? Have those like, ooh, suddenly HD cutscenes, and then it goes back to, you know, <laughs> yeah, that is pretty cool. So if you want to check out the video, I will put a link in our show notes at theretroad.com. Christian's channel is brilliant anyway. You should definitely be checking that out. Uh, recently, the um, the high streets had a bit of a tough time. Um, not just independent stores, but also game shops. I mean, here in the UK, Granger Games shut down the last 12 months. Yeah, months, you've really... Know. You've only got a few independent ones and then game. Yeah. And, and even CX, games. Game haven't been a good also time. places like... Uh, Woolies, where you get your games, and also WH Smith are struggling at the moment. You know, there's uh, yeah, a lot of places where you pick them up are also. There's uh, not many yeah. places to go browse anymore. Well, in America, it's actually even worse. Um, mm. GameStop, which is obviously their main yeah. high street, yeah. and they do have, there is GameStop in like different countries. Uh, as well. Ireland, yeah, Ireland yeah. as well. Does Ireland have them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. I've seen them in Italy actually. When I'm in Italy, I often pop into GameStop. I, I think there was one in Norway when we went there. As well. Yeah, but then yeah. they're all in Norwegian or Italian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have <laughs> been to GameStop in in Florida, and yeah. I went in because I googled retro game shops while I was there. I was like, "We gotta check it out," and it said GameStop had them, so yeah. I went in. Says on my phone here, you do retro games. I was like, oh yeah, at the back, and it was just Wii games. <laughs> well, recently they they haven't had a good time, and their um, their stock price dropped from sixteen dollars a share to five dollars a share. Um, so they're not doing well, and you know everyone's saying, you know, there's a headline here from Business Insider: the world's biggest video game retailer, GameStop, is dying, mm. and they've done a whole kind of insight into what caused their demise. But generally, I mean, people are blaming the fact that, especially with modern day consoles now, stuff is going more digital download PCs it's already happened to with Steam and stuff like that to, to a degree like when I went to America they replaced a lot of the nice boxes with cardboard redeem codes yeah. and that really it doesn't just walls and walls create, and, evening, and there's no know, point What's yeah. the point? you can't browse or create community yeah. with redeem no. codes it's... and what's the point of going to the shop to buy a game code to then take it home and download it when you can just download it at home yeah Exactly, yeah. and I, I tried. It, it's to, not like they go on sale or anything. These game cards do. If they, anything, so. they're sometimes are more expensive because exactly. yeah, you know they, they want to keep the, these businesses running. Yeah. So I mean, I had it when the Switch came out, and I wanted to get Zelda for it. Mm. And bizarrely, you could get the Switch, but you couldn't get Zelda. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like, you know you think it'd be the way around. But then when I went to game to get it, the girls like we haven't got any left, but I can give you a code. Mm. And I'm like, well, 
can I at least keep the box in the display box on the shelf? I can't give you that. I'm like, well, <laughs> most of us download you, it on the store. You don't there. deserve yeah. the box. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, if I put the box on my shelf, maybe I've got something out of it. Yeah, but yeah. you're right. I mean, the fact that, especially the way Microsoft and Sony are going, everyone thinks next gen, they're probably going to get rid of discs. It'll all be digital. But also, like, I think oh. weird collector's editions as well. So, because I used to go to these places and be like, oh, can I get this? Well, we've sold out of all the normal copies, but we have the £200 collector di- edition with a figurine <laughs> and a statue. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, again, how many people buy them, though? It's not enough to keep yeah, no, high street yeah. businesses yeah, running. No, no. So how do they combat this demise? Well, it come, looks like they've come up with a plan. And what they want to do, really, is go back to roots. So apparently they're looking at creating in-store spaces in their shops for local gaming competitions. Oh, that's cool. Get people in. Yeah. And, and also, what is of interest to us is, apparently they're going to be doing new shops, GameStop shops, that are... 100% focus on retro gaming hardware and software. Yeah, you know, I found this approach in America. When I went into the Apple store, they were completely on the commercial sell, sell, push, clap everyone that's buying stuff. And then you went to the Microsoft Windows store and they were like, oh, what are you working on? Here's mm. some free software. Come work on that in the corner, Minecraft corner. You know, it yeah, had yeah. more of a community feel. Okay. Yeah, yeah and that, that's what, I mean, I remember going to, like, you know, electronics boutique and that as a kid and future zone and places like that and on a saturday afternoon it all, all the kids would be around the systems playing them. yeah and a, fr- a friend of mine funny enough has been saying that that's something that's been missing not just in nottingham but really across like the whole of the uk yeah is he keeps in saying his big dream of his is to open his own game shop but he's like but i would bring back the card games you know the, you know every monday night we have this card game and on a saturday we do this card game and we have these competitions and just really really revive that kind of scene so it's kind of good to see that GameStop or kind of want to want to jump on that but it's really how successful is it going to be yeah it, it's happening everywhere as well so we've got retro world in derby which was kind of a, a stall on the market but it was yeah. incredibly popular been there 20 years as well yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, they've just moved and they've had to go from that area yeah. as well and we've got no independent game stores in nottingham well that is one mostly problem. pawn shops <laughs> yeah. Porn brokers. Yeah. Porn, Porn brokers. brokers. Yeah. <laughs> Clarify that. Um, that's the kind of the bad thing about this: the fact that with GameStop, and if it happens over here with Game and that, if they're going to be opening dedicated retro gaming stores, your independents like you know, place in Derby Game, Games World, they're not going to be able to compete with it. I don't think it's difficult. Uh, it depends where they go with it because of let's say dedicated retro only shops. But are we talking? actual original hardware apparently so okay. apparently it's going to be uh, old systems old games um, so what are we going to do just go to the car boots and to ebay and well, just... well i think they've got a large supply of it already they, they, they okay. were yeah. they were doing refurbs it's a shame they don't sell it <laughs> in their regular shops <laughs> they, were, they were doing refurbs of old consoles because i remember seeing a few videos yeah. a couple of years ago people would be like is the GameStop re uh refurb dreamcast any good and yeah yeah like, i've watched a few that. recently yeah so well, they, i guess they, they know do. what they're doing yeah with like refurbs and stuff like that but like you say have they got that much stock or is it going to be okay so are they opening three of these in every city or are we going to open like one per state I don't know but weirdly I found that also in America that they kind of they're more into that gaming like we're here we come for the arcades we play our arcade and go they'll stand on a pinball machine for five hours still you know there's still yeah. people that will come so if you can build a space maybe I think in the UK it would work with a bar if you mm. had a bar and a video game. Yeah, show, we always need beer. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's cool. Like you said, I mean, they, they have moved into the retro market anyway in recent years by selling mm. Dominion mm. stuff. I mean, like CEX have over here. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, it's only a small part of it. I mean, you know, it kind of does feel like a bit of a a last gasp attempt to keep keep themselves in business. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure it's going to work. You know? I mean, it's retro games, so I'm yeah. not going to say no. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. We'll, we'll go in and browse and then yeah. buy them cheaper online, probably. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, thank you for checking out the news in this week's show. Everything we've talked about, I will stick it in our show notes at theretrohour.com. Of course, please do keep supporting the podcast with your five-star reviews and your ratings. Those do really help us. And, and uh, iTunes reviews as well, because we're on, like, 98 or 99, so it'd just be good to get over that 100. Oh, we need to take over the 100 reviews yeah. now, do we? Okay. It will happen now. I'm sure as soon as you said that, come on. Who's going to go on there? 100th Somebody review. Do it for us. We should give him a mention next week, the 100th review. Yeah. Okay. As long as it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> right then, guys. Well, Robbie's mum said. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Abbott. <laughs> so let's get the inside story of Tech Toy, the company keeping Sega hardware alive and games in 2019 in Brazil. Ravi went to chat to the CEO, Stefan Arnaldo. You're listening to the Retro Hour, and I'm talking to Stefano Arnhold, 
the CEO of Tectoy in Brazil. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you very much. Excellent. It's great to have you on. And uh, we always ask this guest a uh, question of all our guests, and that was, what is the first memory of video games or computers that you have? I think the first is when I first saw an Atari 2600 in the beginning of the 80s. And this impressed me quite a lot because it was so different from everything I had seen before. And I think I fell in love with video games at that uh, moment. Yeah, that, that was a beautiful machine. And uh, so did you always want to have a job in uh, technology and computers? Well, maybe uh, not uh, really, but I, I was working with an uncle of mine in a company in the photographic field. And uh, then I visited uh, Nintendo in Kyoto in, I don't remember exactly if it was 78 or 79, I don't remember exactly. And uh, I wanted to introduce in Brazil the Game & Watch, right? Ah, yeah, so it must have been early Nintendo. Yeah, very early Nintendo. Basically, at that time, they were basically... An arcade about. Well, they were basically <laughs> a card company, right? Yeah, playing and, cards. They, yeah. yeah, but they had car. They had already the arcades. Donkey Kong, of course, was their number one hit at the time. I think Mario was not uh, in the main row at that time, and I got the rights to to assemble uh, in Brazil. But uh, then my Uncle didn't want to establish, uh, how you say, a manufacturing facility, Yeah. right? And then I left the company and went uh, to work with Sharp in Brazil. Sharp in Brazil at that time was a joint venture between the Japanese company and a Brazilian big company. And they were interested in introducing the Atari in Brazil. So I joined them, I think, in the beginning of '83 if I'm not mistaken. Well, and so I started to get involved, let's say, in video games at that time. Well, well, you mentioned that there was a restriction on imports, and a lot of our listeners uh, may not know this about Brazil, but um, could you explain the kind of import tax? Yeah, well, uh, today we still have high import taxes, so if you want to be successful in Brazilian video games, you probably need to manufacture your consoles uh, down here, that's what we do. But at that time, in, in the let's say in the late 80s, uh, late 70s, the beginning of the 80s, uh, it was even stricter. It was nearly impossible to get uh, input license for the well, for the finished product. It was absolutely impossible. But uh, you could manufacture it, right? Yeah. So I wanted to start the manufacturing in, in Manaus. Manaus is in the middle of the Amazon. <clears throat> we have a, basically at that time, it was the beginning of, um, in 72, the manufacturing started there. And uh, today, <clears throat> basically all electronics uh, are assembled in there. If, if you think basically of any product, electronic product in Brazil, it's basically manufactured there. Ah, so every, right. every single thing has to be within Brazil. Even if it was made from outside, you could bring the parts and then make in Brazil. Yeah, same in Brazil. Of course, you today you are allowed to import the finished product, but uh, I mean, the, the taxes that you're going to pay, let's say on a TV set, will make it probably impossible for you to to compete with the manufactured uh, item in the free zone of Manaus. And you said you work with Panasonic. Um, you have your own television format in Brazil. Is it based on NTSC or PAL? Or? Yeah, well, it's a kind of a hybrid. It's called PAL-M, but it's basically an NSTC uh, <coughs> product, right? So it's basically unique. Well, today, in the past, this was something special. Today, all the the chips, they are multi-platform, so that's no issue anymore. But it, it's a, 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 a power M you only have in Brazil. Well, let's get into um, consoles and stuff. So the NES was hugely popular in North America. Um, 
did this happen in South America as well? Or was the kind of high dollar price uh, expensive for them to kind of bring in? Well, they, they were, of course, uh, very well known because uh, the, the, the NES was the, the number one COSO in the world, right? Yeah. Uh, we were lucky enough to, to present the master system in, in a, let's say, in a complete way. And one of the reasons we made a huge effort to present uh, the master system was because we knew about the success of uh, Nintendo, right? So the Sega was not very well known or not known at all by the public at that time. And um, so we did an extra effort when we introduced it in Brazil uh, with some, let's say, thinking that we would have to beat uh, Nintendo, which was the clear leader, right? If I remember well, I think Nintendo uh, penetrated in something like 33 million North American homes, and the master system, I think, did 1.8 million homes at that time, just to give a reference of how strong the Nintendo was in North America. And in Brazil, we follow more what happens in USA. When you joined Tectoy, did you kind of uh, know about the history of the company and the kind of the gaming background? When I work, went to work at Sharp, uh, not my first boss, my, but my second boss, uh, which was the vice president in, in charge of consumer electronics, uh, with whom I worked directly, he was the founder of Tectoy. So when he invited me to join uh, the company, it was exactly to be able to develop the video games, right? So the company, when I joined, it was brand new. I was not there in the, in the, in the grounding of the company in the first, but I came like uh, 15 minutes later, more or less. Uh, we, we had the master system in the UK because the NAS didn't actually seem that popular. Um, uh, we had Mastertronics, who were the kind of UK distributor, I was wondering if you had any contact with them at all? Yes, sure, sure we had. Uh, and of course, uh, we had a, <clears throat> a good uh, exchange of information because we were always looking to different games, right? Yeah. And they had their hands on some games that were only available in UK. No, we had a very, very good relations. Uh, I, I think it was a Virgin Mastertronic, something like that, if I recall well. Yes, because we had um, the the kind of NES was not popular. The SNES was a bit more popular, but the main main system was the Master System, and then uh, Mega Drive after that as well. Yeah, then maybe we had this similar history because also we we managed to to I think in the first years, of course, we had eighty or more percent of the eight bit market in Brazil. We didn't ha did not have more because we had to fight the Nintendo clones. It took a long time to Nintendo to come to Brazil officially. So early days, our big problem was that we were not competing against uh, the NES, but we were competing against uh, several Nintendo clones, which of course were very cheap to to manufacture. Ah, those kind of uh, 100 games in one uh, machines and stuff like that. Yeah, something like that. But worse of than the, let's say, at that time they did not build in, uh, I mean, like 100 games, but the hardware itself was very, very inexpensive. Mm. So it gave us a really hard time. But uh, we were quite lucky to, to create uh, some differentials. We launched the the master system with the 3D glasses and um, the the laser gun, right? The light phaser. And we produced a really, really nice uh, TV commercial. We went even to LA in US to do the 3Ds. Uh, it was, I think, Missile Command if 3D, if I don't, if I remember well. And you had the impression that uh, <clears throat> that the bullets were coming out of the the TV when you were using the 3D glasses and 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 this we tried to mimic on the with computer graphics but this is uh, how you say 1989 uh, computer graphics and TV at that time was something quite special right 
<laughs> so it was really, really interesting the way we presented. We spent a really lot of money to do to, in, in this uh, TV. It was a one-minute TV commercial. We were not a well-known uh, company. Nobody know, knew us. And on the contrary, the Nintendo clones, they were presented by big uh, companies, right? Some of them uh, uh, which had... Uh, how you say, excellent brands and excellent uh, uh, recognition by the the general public, right? So for us, it was really tough, but we really, I think, did a good job because we were uh, re really researching the end consumer and preparing exactly what they wanted. We Every day, we had a one-minute uh, show on the main TV in Brazil. We have Global TV, which is extremely strong in Brazil at the time also. So we had one minute every day in which we would give hints and tips in a very, which came out to be a very, very popular show. Every The kids after some time were waiting. At that time they used the VCRs, right? And they were taping uh, this one minute show to get the, the hits and tips. Then we had the, the hotline and the hotline was really super prepared. Then we had the master club where they got all kinds of information. So it was completely different when you bought a clone with, let's say, made by a, a consumer product company and you bought a, a master system, which was really from a video game company. And very shortly, we were already leading the market. Well, um, I also wondered, you mentioned a lot about consumers in the phone line because we talked to people from Australia and they had a Sega phone line as well. There, there was quite a lot. Uh, we, we wondered about magazines and culture. Did you guys have like uh, Sega Power or Mega Power or any of these, uh, or were they Brazilian Sega magazines? In, in Brazil, we encourage uh, different publishers to start their own video game magazines and we helped them in this task. And uh, three of them really started their own video game mag magazines, which in the beginning were, uh, one of them was even weekly, and then they were monthly. So we did not, uh, we were very successful in that. And as we were so dominant in the market, uh, those three magazines were m mainly talking about um, master system. So in the end, it was uh, it turned out to even be better that in, instead of it's in, let's say we having our own magazine, we have the others talking about uh, us, and in three different uh, magazines, it was really fantastic. Yeah, it sounds like a, a good range. And you mentioned Master System there as well. Uh, I was amazed to look and see how many different range of Master Systems you have. You know how many different systems. Uh, could you talk us through a few and just tell me which one's your favorite master system? Well, what happened was that in, in let's say, in USA and in other countries, probably in, in Great Britain too, the new uh, generations were killing the former generations, right? So then you had 16-bit and then you had 32-bit and so on. And in Brazil, uh, because of our demographics, uh, we maintained the 8-bit the, the when we launched 16-bit, and we maintained 16-bit when we launched 32-bit, uh, and we maintained 32-bit when we launched 128, and so on. By the way, we manufacture 8-bit until today, right? So what happens if you imagine that uh, uh, this is now uh, 30 years? So if you want to keep... Uh, uh, a console platform alive for 30 years, you have to invent different things, right? So we were coming up with different consoles, different versions, different games during all those years. So I can't remember all of the versions, probably more than 20 different versions of Master System. And um, difficult to choose, let's say, one favorite, but we did one which was wireless, and this was unique. I think this was really unique. It was battery powered and uh, it was like a, a handheld and uh, it went, it had an antenna and it would go by RF from your 
handheld uh, master system to your TV set. That was pretty amazing. That's really cool. And uh, I hear you guys are still producing Mega Drives. Uh, what, what, what do you think of the Sega um, Mega Drive Mini that's come out as well? Yeah, well, I, uh, we we did something very special uh, when we uh, in two years in ago in 2017 uh, when we completed 30 years, and uh, it was also uh, 30 years of relationship with Sega. And there are not so many uh, video game companies in the world which have a 30 years ongoing relationship. So we wanted to do something special to celebrate this relationship with the Japanese. So we decided to do the original Mega Drive again. Everything based on the original, uh, with the original modes and so on. And this was pretty amazing because... uh, as you know, the, the components don't exist anymore. Uh, the, the Mega Drive had two audio processors from uh, Yamaha, which were excellent, excellent products, right? And in order to substitute them, it was really not easy. It took us more than one year, to, let's say, to, to tune the sound in the way that it could reflect the same quality of the original product. So I think this is something really amazing. And uh, anyone who wants to do today, uh, uh, how you say, a version of the Mega Drive, will have quite a challenge when it comes to sound. Yeah, I've actually seen quite a lot of um, clone machines and uh, they all suffer from sound problems. Yeah, not easy, not easy. Uh, One of the difference from Tectoy was that we knew the product very well. By when I, I mean engineering-wise, right? So when we did all those versions, uh, our engineering was really strong. It's still very strong. And we know the product from inside uh, really very well. Uh, uh, and this helped us a lot. But even so, it took us more than one year to come not to perfect sound, because perfect sound is nearly impossible without the original Yamaha products but to something really, really good. So uh, even the, the critics uh, love the, the sound that we managed to, to achieve. Well, you, you mentioned that you know the machines in and out and uh, kind of you guys offered uh, online banking uh, on, and uh, MegaNet as well. So uh, SegaNet, you had a second version of that. So you'd be able to do online banking on your Mega Drive? Yeah, this was amazing. We have one bank here in Brazil, which is called Bradesco. It's a huge bank, really big. And, uh, uh, well, this is 1994, right? In 93, uh, yeah, 93, we introduced it. So in 93, uh, online banking was quite different what it was today, you have to imagine. And um, the problem in Brazil that you had a state monopoly of monopoly of the the telephone lines. So the telephone lines were very, very expensive. So something they could, in money of today, I would guess something like, uh, I don't know, 6,000 pounds, something like that for one telephone line. So the bank had a big problem because it was quite expensive for them uh, to have customer service and and uh, because of the huge investment in all those lines. And we developed a system <clears throat> through Mega Drive that would talk uh, to the bank for 16 seconds, right? So with your Mega Drive, uh, uh, when you contact the computer the, on the bank, in 16 seconds, we would download all the information and then you would continue offline. And the, the bank simply, simply loved it because the, the, any contact they had with the consumers at that time was like, I don't know, five minutes in, in average, something like that. And we changed this to 16 seconds, right? So they loved the idea and we sold a ton of those uh, uh, banking units uh, because of the, of the help of the bank. 
And also they had a fantastic technology because uh, they were most of the lines in Brazil, uh, they were not digital at that time. They were analogic. So you can imagine it was it, it was really tough, but they had excellent technology. And while developing this technology with this bank, we came up with the MegaNet. And with the MegaNet, you could play head-to-head uh, with very low latency. You have to imagine that at this, at this time, it was only... Uh, you didn't have fiber, right? You had only common telephone lines, and most of them were analogic lines. So latency was quite an issue, and to work below 200 milliseconds, it was really uh, a challenge, and you had to, uh, how you say, uh, rewrite the games. Let's say if I was playing basketball with you or boxing or something like that, we had to minimize uh, the number of movements so that this information could travel through telephones line quickly enough so that you would not feel any latency. And it was amazing. Then we started um, uh, sending you to our server first, where we would choose somebody uh, which was not so far away from you, but by your zip code, you know. And then we started to have chat rooms where you would decide uh, with whom you would play. And then the, the kids, we had the book of records, and the kids who were in those book of records, they were, let's say, the, the kings here in Brazil. They had all the girls. It was, it was amazing. The, <laughs> this Meganet, what they did was amazing, amazing. That sounds absolutely awesome. And uh, you guys also have kind of done over a 1,000 titles, and I guess... The process of uh, converting titles must be quite hard, but when the Game Gear came out, did that really help you guys getting stuff for the Master System? Yeah, yeah, we, we converted games from uh, Game Gear to Master System, which was a big help because it refreshed the library, but it was a huge work because uh, I don't know exactly, but I think that uh, Game Gear had, I think, 4,096 colors, Mega Drive uh, Master System had, I don't know, 200 and something colors. And uh, uh, it gave us a huge work to adapt uh, the coloring part. It was uh, had to be done basically by hand. And it took us, I don't know, three months just to make the color part of a game which came from Mega Drive to Master System. So <laughs> it was a lot of work. All, all that palette kind of swapping and stuff. Yeah, well, not easy. But uh, but on the other hand, uh, it was was interesting because we were refreshing Master System with uh, new games. Uh, even uh, one time we did uh, um, Street Fighter 2 for Master System. And that was also an interesting story because the we had to approve it by for Capcom, right? Yeah. And, and they did not really remember well what Master System was. That was also a problem. In, in the industry, in the beginning, uh, everybody knew. But then sometime you had new managers, new directors. They didn't know what 8-bit was, right? Uh, or what Master System was. Uh, did you have so, to convince them that, 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 that this market existed? Yeah. So one guy came from Brazil, from, uh, from Capcom. Uh, one uh, director and we 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 played the trick on him. Uh, he knew about um, the the 16-bit about Mega Drive because Mega Drive was really uh, <clears throat> well known in Japan, right? And uh, but this was many years later, right? So what we did we 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 hide the the master system. And we, we showed him the TV and a Mega Drive controller, right? And he played the game. And then he said, well, this looks like a, a very primitive 16-bit uh, game, right? It looks a little bit primitive to, to me. And we said, yeah, it is. It is an 8-bit game. <laughs> and then we showed him the, the, the console that was hidden. And then he could not believe that we were able to do 
in 8-bit something which resembled 16-bit uh, or DAW primitive, right? Because of the size of, of the, the, the characters and everything. And then he approved the game. And then we were able to release uh, Street Fighter 2 to Master System. That's absolutely awesome. And uh, another title that's uh, really culturally important to Brazil was Monica as well. And uh, that was converted from Wonder Boy. Did they understand about Monica and how big the character was? Did you have to explain to them? No, they did not really... The Japanese didn't did not really understand, but uh, much. But at that time, uh, they had so much confidence in us that when we told them that this was important for our strategy to have uh, games with Brazilian characters, that they basically believed them and said, "Yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, just make sure you re you respect all the copyrights, right, from all the parties involved." Uh, uh, and uh, so uh, at one time it was interesting once we got the confidence of them uh, they really helped us a lot also um, you managed to get some games that weren't actually released worldwide um, a fantastic game uh, was Fire and Ice for the Master System um, how did you find out about these games and how did you convince the guys uh, that it was worth releasing them Mainly, we knew every single Master System game that was one time released wherever, right? I, I don't think that anyone escaped our radar. <laughs> and, um, and many times, uh, people, they, they uh, when, when you manage to, how you say, to meet the, the people who had invented the game or had the, the, the rights and so on, and you explained about Brazil, and you gave them an order for, let's say, 10,000 pieces. At that time, it was, it was easy uh, to get the license. Uh, we had trouble with um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego, because this belonged to Brotherbund, and the people in Brotherbund uh, did not know about the... They were basically uh, a PC company, right? A computer company. And uh, so we told them that we wanted to do the game for Mega Drive and for Master System when we got the rights for the computer, right? And they said, no, the, it's not possible because we never launched those titles for video games. Right, and he said, "No, you did." And she said, "No, we never did it." <laughs> so I, I, I had bought in in uh, many years ago, in um, Toys R Us, uh, uh, how you say a, a version of the where in the world it was Carmen San Diego for Master System, which was from Parker Bros. So I, I showed the lady the the. The, the, the product itself and she was still not very convinced and uh, then I, I was lucky enough because I knew a big director in Hasbro which came, was the one guy responsible for the when Hasbro bought Bar Parker Bros right and he ah. came from, yeah and he came I think he came from Tonka Tonka had bought Parker Bros and then uh, uh, or vice versa, I don't know. And then Nintendo, uh, Hasbro bought both of them. And he knew everything about it. So I managed uh, to, to get a, a letter from him, uh, giving all the history and, and, and all the... And with this, I convinced the lady that uh, they could give us the, the license, and she did. And then we sent the product for final approval, and the approval never came, never came. Then I went then to California to visit the lady. It was a beautiful place. It was after Sausalito in the mountains there. And I told the lady, what happened? I, 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 we are going to jeopardize our big uh, TV campaign and everything because you're not giving us the final approval on the master system. And she said, yeah, I, I'm not giving you because I don't have a console. I don't know what it is about, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I said, why well, didn't you tell us? I would send you one. And then after some time, she said, okay, okay, go on, <laughs> launch it. And, and then we, it was very nice because we made the launch, simultaneous launch in Brazil 
for Mega Drive, for Master System, and for PC. There's a TV campaign. It was the first edutainment uh, software for multi-platform launched in Brazil. It was a big success. That's really, really cool. And I think uh, a title that kind of blew the mind of lots of Sega fans was Duke Nukem 3D. Um, the fact that you guys could get sound, music, and really good visual working all at the same time was amazing. How did uh, Fantasy Star help in its development? A lot, a lot, because um, Fantasy Star was very interesting because I, looking on the what people did outside Brazil, I was always envy about the role-playing games, you know, that uh, every uh, software company was doing so well in role-playing games. In Brazil, we did not have role-playing games, right? So we said, okay, let's uh, localize uh, Fantasy Star for Master System for Portuguese and let's introduce it and, and let's see how it goes, right? And it was a massive work. Uh, because the memory was very, very tight and uh, the, 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 the phrases in Portuguese are much larger than in, in English, right? So you, for you to translate anything from English to Portuguese, you need uh, much more space. So it was really tough, but we did it and it was a big success. And then many, many years later, when we were working on uh, <laughs> Duke Nuke, it was really difficult. The first person vision was something which was not designed for <laughs> 8 bit, right, for 16 bit, sorry. And then one of our producers said, mm, I'll have a look how they, we did it uh, in uh, Fantasy Star because I remember that there were some mazes in Fantasy Star which was like first person view. Maybe it will help. And thanks to this, we were able to do the conversion of the PC game to 16-bit, and it came out pretty nice. Well, did Tectoy ever want to do their own original Sega hardware? I heard of a, a rumor about maybe you asked about a black-and-white handheld machine. Yeah, that was another amazing story because we had Game Gear, Game Gear, of course, was very nice, although it was eaten batteries like hell, right? And um, But the price point was obviously higher. And um, so we thought, why don't we do, we do uh, uh, like Nintendo? Nintendo with Game Boy was extremely successful. So we were looking to something in the black and white area, and we found a Taiwanese guy who did a product which was not really very good, but our engineering was able to correct mainly the sound problems they had and some other, I mean, the general quality and so on. And then you had Tiger. Tiger was a, a company leading in handheld games, right? Very good company. So we talked with them because they had a huge distribution, especially in USA if they would distribute the product and they said uh, yeah they would because the it looked exactly like the product that would suit them a lot so we 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 further developed the product and uh, we showed it to sega and then uh, we get the massive no and although we had really good relationship with sega it was impossible to convince them because they said no sega will never launch the black and white unit. We only do color. We will never go down and, and do black and white. And to make a long story short, uh, that, that was it. So we could not release it. And I think that if they would have um, authorized and licensed us, uh, this would have been a, a huge success. Well, another fantastic book that's going to come out is going to be Console Wars. Uh, that's going to be made into a TV series with Seth Rogen. And that's all about kind of Sega versus Nintendo, but Sega America versus Japan. I was wondering um, when the kind of Mega CD came out at the same time as the 32X, could you see how confusing it could be for the uh, consumer? And uh, did you start to think that Sega was on the decline? 
Yeah, this was very confusing times. I think your word is very good because our launch of Sega CD had been a, a big success and the games were not up to the success of the hardware, right? And then uh, we had the 32X, which uh, could have been something really special. Uh, and uh, I remember uh, I was so confused by everything what was happening. So there was one guy in uh, in SEG of America. He was uh, leading the development there. And he was developing the new 32X games. And uh, so I, I took a plane especially to go there and to have a chat with him. I can't recall his name, but he has a name uh, with a number, like number four, number five, something like that. And uh, I remember that I, he could not convince me th that the games that he was uh, putting out would be something really, really different, right? So I, I remember coming back from this trip uh, really disappointed because I thought that uh, the 32X technology, if they would really develop amazing games, would, could be something really f fantastic. But uh, because of the power, right, that you had uh, like in VR and so on. But uh, finally, it, it was really disappointing. And, you, and the word you use is perfect. Well, we found that Sega kind of, it didn't disappear from culture, but it, it was very quiet and like, a, you know, dormant in, in the UK and stuff. But then the fans started producing stuff. So there was these studios like Mega Cat Studios that produced new Mega Drive games. There was even a cart recently produced that does the whole Sega CD on one cart, which is crazy. Do you keep your eye on these developments? Um, basically, not so much anymore because uh, we, uh, let's say our company now is a very small company. Uh, so we were, we're still doing a master system, Mega Drive. Um, we do some uh, licensing of uh, the T-shirts and those things. But, but our attention, let's say, to video games at this stage is, is, uh, is, is really small. Right. And uh, I don't know, we just uh, there is a huge community in Brazil who loves the old days. So every time we do any event, it is really amazing. Uh, I, I give so many autographs, e even the people, if let's say when I, I, I go to Comic Con or something, the light, the people even recognize me in the middle of the crowd. So I think we are still very popular. But uh, we do very, very little now. Now our activity is, uh, uh, how you saying, uh, re really uh, thin, very thin. So so kind of uh, tech toy, like the, the retro stuff would be like a hobby or a, a side, a side, not the main uh, business. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. And uh, uh, so it's... Uh, I think it's uh, many, many people still cultivate the the memory from those times, mm. but in business wise, it's it's very thin. It seems like a very unique place as well, Brazil, because um, in 2013, Nintendo completely left Brazil, which is amazing. Seeing there's the old Japanese community there as well. Yeah, well, Nintendo they were ne never fond of uh, manufacturing locally, right? And uh, this was something which uh, they never accepted, right? I talked to them and, uh, many times and uh, they even uh, hired some lobby here to fight the, the Brazilian structure, let's say, trying to convince uh, regulators to change the laws which of course was helpless, you, 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 <laughs> you can't do it like that, right? And, and um, so they ne nearly never accept it. And, and if you want to be successful here, you really need to manufacture. And electronics manufacturing in Brazil is really, really high level uh, because of those uh, incentives, right? And, um, and then finally, they decided to leave, and they, uh, they w when 
they, they had a very good relationship with Gradienti, which was uh, the original company which had the clones of Nintendo, which gave us a hard time in the 80s, right? But then uh, uh, <clears throat> turned to be their distributor in the future. And they manufactured in Brazil. And when they uh, took the the rights out of Gradienti and gave it to a, a how you say, trading company from Panama, uh, they, they officially they did not leave Brazil, but in fact they leave Brazil at that time uh, when they did it because uh, not manufacturing here and giving uh, rights to. I say an, an outside company, which is a trading company who trades, I don't know, all kinds of different yeah. things, right? Kind of dodging video, it. Video games, is, video games is something really, really special, right? It's one of the few things in which the, you do hardware and software together, right? Many times if you are a TV producer, a, a TV in the sense that you, you produce the, the hardware, you don't care about the software so much. Somebody else is going to take care of it, right? But in, in video games, you have to be really careful about both, right? Hardware yeah. and software. So not everybody has a head, hardware and software in, your, in the same heads, right? So that's quite unique. So <clears throat> uh, it's very special. Video games are very special. And the trading company, it's, it's difficult to be successful because it's not the same thing, right? Yeah, and I think that's a very good summary. Um, I was wondering kind of, what are Tectoy planning now? Are they uh, got any future products in plan? Or are they just going to still keep producing some Mega Drives? Yeah, at the moment we, we are still producing Master System and Mega Drive. Uh, we added Atari to our lineup because the, the many people in Brazil who love the, the old uh, uh, <clears throat> times, right? So we have the... 2600 uh, in its original form, not the uh, mini form, right? And um, and we have a. There are not enough museums, video game museums in the world, right? So we have to sell it to the <laughs> final <laughs> public, <laughs> and that's basically what we do in the video game areas. But it's uh, it's quite like more a legacy uh, business. We do some activities for the community with some events sometimes because they love it right well thank you so much for talking to us uh, it's been excellent well I, I thank you very much uh, for your kind time and I wish you all success in, in Britain <laughs>